Motown Rundown, welcome back. Today is Wednesday, July 6th. We have a little bit of a different episode today. We are slightly shorthanded. We are down a man. Ryan Collins will not be joining us on the podcast tonight. He is day-to-day with a undisclosed injury. I don't even try. I, what is, what's he doing? Not, I, I don't want to like. Hey, hey, he's not fired. He's in good health <laughs> as far as we're concerned. I, I don't yeah, know. He, he, is, you know what? he is healthy, yeah. Rabs, you would second this of all people for me to just not need to worry about solely because it's not that I'm not worried about him and it's not that I'm not concerned, but I am always faithful that Ryan Collins is doing just fine. I mean, yes, I can't describe it. It's more like he's a very independent person. He's not high maintenance at all. He's doing just fine right now. Whatever it is that came up and he couldn't do this anymore. He did tell us last night, full disclosure, he said he was a game time decision for today's pod. Yeah, he was a true, he was a true game time decision as in he took warmups with the team and he tested it out and it just wasn't going to happen. But (laughs) no, he really is to Ryan Collins' credit. Not that this is just the Ryan Collins tire pumping hour, but he is, I, I do think he has a level of street smarts that is unbeknownst to like a sneaky, a sneaky good level of street smarts. Like he can hold his own in pretty much any situation, which is, which is admirable of him. But um, I feel bad that we don't have him on here, but we have some pressing things to talk about with the NHL draft being tomorrow on July 7th. So I guess as you're listening to this today, hopefully if you, Subscribe to the pod, which you can do on Apple. Actually, you can on Apple Podcasts, yeah, yeah but we, on Spotify. Spotify. We're a mess. We're a mess. Just Stay follow us on social media. The best way to hear the podcast is to follow yes. us on social media. Correct. So between that, we're going to recap the NBA draft today. We also have to talk about the Tigers who are coming off a sweep of the Cleveland Guardians. Um, but no Ryan Collins today, unfortunately. You here's the Here's the bigger question, Trent. What do you think the odds are? What are the Vegas odds are on Ryan Collins listening to this episode start to finish? Start to finish is the key. I think he'll listen. I just, I, I don't know. He might start, <laughs> he's going to get pissed off at something I say, and he's going to be like, yeah, no, done. And he's going to just, you know, be done. With he it. might. And this is not, it's not a knock on Collins of oh, like not, him not caring not about the podcast. His, his, his give a shit meter is higher than than he might lead on to believe, but it's just a matter of you know he's got a lot of things going on, Ryan Collins, and I don't know. I hope I'm I'm hope he listens. I'm sure you know. I'm sure you will. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So Ryan Collins, if you're listening, we miss you, buddy. Sorry we had to do this without you today. Um, but nonetheless, Trent, let's catch up a bit here as we do the little you know pre-show banter. Uh, you were having some fun. You were just in Nashville. It looked like correct. What what yep. was that all about? Uh, a couple things. Uh, my brother Miles makes music. He was down networking a bit with some people. Nice. And the other reason, uh, they, I, I don't want to say the more exciting reason, but I saw <laughs> me, and, me and my buddies, including Miles, saw Motley Crue and Def Leppard. In, uh, oh, in, so that tour, that tour is coming to Detroit soon, right? On Sunday. No, I'm, 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 oh, I'm, no, it's on Sunday, and I'm really thinking about going. You might as well. I mean, it's in your own backyard now. See him a second time. I, I, I honestly, I was blown away. That, look, Motley Crue, say what you want. They don't sound great <laughs> anymore. They're all like six years old. It's, oh, no. it's, it's more of an energy thing. You get in there and it's just loud and it's, it's guitars and it's just in your face, heavy and disgusting. I love it. And, and I loved it. And I went in with the perfect expectations. I had a great time. So anyone considering going to that tour, I would do it. Because Def Leppard also, they sounded fantastic. 
I don't mean to just come on here and slander my favorite band of all time, Motley Crue. I'm simply yeah. saying they're more of an energy thing, whereas right. Def Leppard kind of still has the musical component. To Anyways, no one cares about this. That's what I was doing ball. in Nashville. Rabs, how was your 4th of July weekend? 4th of July was great. I got a chance to go up north with one of my good buddies, Josh. I appreciate uh, him bringing me up there. You know, Josh. Um, yeah, did Josh catch any fish? Did he? Dude, what? so we, I can send you some pictures. We did catch some fish out on his, the private lake that his, that his cottage is on. I don't know what it is, man. I, I grew up, I was just, you know, I, I played sports growing up, which meant a lot of weekends on the road and not having a ton of time to take vacations with my family especially with my little brother playing sports too. So I don't know. I'm going to attribute all of my, my love for going up North and the outdoors and fishing and all that kind of stuff to to Josh. Cause he was the one that kind of got me involved because he spent his whole childhood. Not that, you know, he was a, he was a hockey player. We grew up playing, um, playing hockey together, I guess more so in high school, but um, you know, he was a, uh, uh, fishing, you know, kind of the hunting scene. Like that was his MO when he was a kid. So um, as our friendship developed over the years, I got more and more in, in tune to that. And I just love it, man. Like you're just, you know, you drive up north and you're driving, like you're literally driving through Amish country. Like you got people like riding down the road and a horse and buggy next to you and just nothing but fresh air and wildlife. And you can see the stars perfectly and being out on the water. And I think a lot of it is being a kid from Michigan too, but it is just the best man. And in the 4th of July, uh, just a weekend to really appreciate having time with your family and your friends and just really putting the world away for a minute. And, you know, being thankful for the people that fight for our country and, and, and allow us to live um, and be free. Uh, and I know obviously the, the country is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but um, definitely when you're sitting out there on the lake, man, and it's, you know, nine o'clock at night and the sun's going down and you're drinking a couple Budweiser's if you're 21 and over, obviously, and you're catching fish and you got the fireworks going off and you're about to go back and have a campfire and eat some s'mores. I mean, there's nothing better, man. You know, it just makes you appreciate the ability to just kind of live in that, that peace for a moment. So great, great weekend. It was very unfortunate that I had to come back and we, I had to work the uh, Santana and earth, wind and fire show last night, which, I don't know if you watched the news <laughs> recently, Trent. We had a little bit of an incident. No, I didn't see that. I, I need you to elaborate on that, but I think I got you beat on a worse July 5th thing. But go ahead. Well, I'm, well it, it, is, it is obviously very much public knowledge because it's just, you know, it's somewhat national news. I won't go too in-depth into it, but Carlos Santana. I haven't Santana, seen anything. I've seen nothing. What so happened? Carlos Santana collapsed on stage last night, and it was, it was due to Wait, Carlos Santana or just – is it Santana? Well, like, Santana, not Carlos Santana, like the, the former first baseman. player. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Santana, like, you know, like smooth Santana. Yeah. Z-Bot. Yeah. So he's seven. The guy's 74 years old. It was hot as shit last night. It's just humid. So just the combination of heat exhaustion and dehydration. But yeah, collapsed on stage. And the uh, that was, as they say in show business, that show business. And the show did not go on. The show actually stopped. But I was running that show last night over at Pine Knob. And Crazy night, but it's always tough coming back. The moral of the story is it's just tough coming back from up north, especially when you got to go to work on Tuesday. But um, great weekend. I appreciate you asking. But what's what was your July 5th all about? Now that somehow it was worse than me almost watching a guy die on stage in front of 14,000 people. I can't wait to hear about it. 
Well, I, I, I'm not sure if it was worse than that. I guess I was saying more so like it sucked. I, I'm not sure about the legalities of this and, and, and what I'm allowed or oh, not great. allowed to say. I have no idea. I had jury duty on the 5th Oh, at, at, at nice. 7.45 7 a.m. Now, here's the thing. I was not selected to serve on a jury, but you still have oh, to go there and you have yeah. to be there for like two hours before you find out. So I, needless to say, I was not allowed to really let it rip on the fourth, but I, I still did. I mean, you go to bed yeah. by like one, you get like five hours of sleep and you go, you, you, you go downtown to the courthouse and you do your thing. It was fine. Um, like I said, I did not get selected, but that just, that almost like that, that kind of hog ties you on the, on the fourth. It's like, you can't really, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to, you can't walk into the courthouse drunk is what I'm saying. So uh, that, that kind of, I don't want to say it ruined my fourth. It put a damper on my fourth. It yeah. definitely factored into my plans and what my plans were. But it was totally fine. I ultimately can't complain because I didn't get selected. And I was fine. But, uh, yeah, that you, was my July 5th extravaganza. Do you think that part of the reason why they didn't select you is because you walked in and they were like, this kid just smells like Miller Lite and we just can't have – like, what's the pro- – because, because Trent, earlier – I don't know if I brought this up, but I – what month was it? I think in like May, I might've been called for jury duty. And literally the day before I got a text message saying that the jury duty was like canceled for that day, which is amazing. Cause like my mom and dad, I don't think either of them have ever been yeah, called to yeah. serve jury duty in their like, lives. And like somehow people- I got called, but what's that? So once you go, like, what's the, like, did you have to interview or what was the deal? No, 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 no. So you, it's, it's random. So like I was, I, you, you go in, you scan in, you have a specific number that's like yeah, specific yes, to you. There's a yes. barcode, you scan in, then you go into this big like conference room. It's like the office times 10. You sit in there. There are a bunch of random yahoos around you. I mean, they, they, when they say they randomly select people that they're not joking. I mean, it is all walks of life, all you know, different looking people, which is absolutely <laughs> great. I support it a hundred percent. There's probably a hundred people. They, I think they chose 50 numbers. So I was one that was not picked after I'm not picked. You have to wait around for a few minutes to make sure everything's okay. Then the nice, lovely lady comes back and she lets you know that your service is complete and you go home. So that's what my July wow. 5th was. I was home by 10 AM. I also on the mm-hmm. way home got a Wendy's breakfast Baconator. That was not oh. good. God. What? So what does the Baconator consist of? Just the eggs instead of the meat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they put eggs on there instead of the meat, but then there's also a sausage patty. But anyway, nonetheless, mm. I digress. Just just don't... Mm. Actually, there's no there's no FCC on this podcast. Don't get a Wendy's breakfast Baconator. It's not any good. You won't like it. <laughs> That's How, I, I want to go back for a second to Nashville. Is that not the greatest city on the planet or what? It is, it is very... Like, it is not... Oh, unbelievable it dude. has gone to the top of my list for like places i'm looking for it's on um, where did you guys go like what was well give me the breakdown like i mean that's pretty cool that miles had a well how did that work out with him like going i mean this has now just become like a, a life story podcast for the time being but i'm just <laughs> curious, like, how did that work did someone reach out to him was he like i want to go down there and just feel some things out like what, yeah. what was the weekend because you guys had to have gone out on broadway i, I yeah. like i need to hear oh, about we did. it I've, we did. I've been to nashville twice now and it's probably, I mean, it's, it's the most unbelievable city on the planet. And I've been to, I was in Vegas in April, which I love too. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, wow. Yeah, no, it was a little bit of both in terms of why we were there. I mean, Miles has been doing this music thing for a while now. So he's been reaching out to people, but then also like he's heard a little bit from some people and it's all, it's, I mean, Nashville, as you know, Rabs, it's literally just a hive 
for country music like that's, that's where great. You, yeah. that's the place to be i mean if you're not there you're probably you you have an exponentially worse chance of making it in that industry than you do if you're not there so sure um so yeah that's kind of how that worked out but then as far as like going out and stuff miles is not 21 so all the bars we had to find were <laughs> yeah up. and there actually wow. are to nashville's credit there are a fair amount of very fun 18 and up bars i will say and i say that as a 22 year old but all, all i'm saying is it was great um i'm kind of glad we hit the calm before the storm that was the fourth of july weekend uh we got out of there right yeah. time that place looked like an absolute zoo but yeah, yes Rams, you are right it is now nashville is probably in my top three cities of like trying to find a place to work now like i yes. would love i would love to live down there i already got a buddy who lives down there andrew herner former Am- impactor shout out shout out uh yeah i it, it it it's a it's a lot of fun it's a great place to take the fellas that's yes, kind of the bottom line unbelievable the bachelorette party capital of the world um all righty well that's some nice uh nice nice fun weekends yeah now that we got that out of the way yeah let's talk about sports we'll bring it back to detroit here um so as as i mentioned at the beginning of the show um we have a draft to recap we have a draft to preview and i do want to touch on a little bit of tigers here at the end of the show um, so without further ado, it's, it's, it's been some time now, um, since our last podcast and since the NBA draft happened, uh, but nonetheless, we have not discussed it here. So we will today, uh, NBA draft is complete. The Detroit Pistons selecting at number five, take Jaden Ivy shooting guard out of the university of Purdue or Purdue university. Not sure either way out of <laughs> Purdue. Um, and then with, I would say, and I don't know if we had talked about this as being a scenario in the previous podcast. I feel like it, it might've been brought up. Did we, I don't think we talked about them trading up. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I'm just saying like, did we even discuss the possibility? I think we remember, I remember us talking about, okay, so maybe this 2025 first rounder from Portland is going to be a part of something bigger. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a part of this trade. To it was. Move up. This trade, by the way, that I do not understand still because like, I don't know if it's been complete. And I, so we're talking about Jalen Duran, obviously yes. Pistons take Jalen. Was that, what was the pick selection? Was it number nine? Number 13. Nice, nice research, Ryan. At 13. <laughs> so I didn't get to watch the draft because I was in Chicago for my, one of my best friend's brother's wedding, which was another unbelievable time. We didn't talk about that, but besides Ooh, the point, that's right. Um, but either way, um, so I was just watching, you know, along on the picks on my phone. So my question to you is, if you were watching, did, did when Jalen Duran was drafted, was he drafted by Charlotte? Yes. Well, I, okay. For, first I, of all, I hate that. I was just going to say, I hate how that, but so here's the thing. I understand. I can't have it both ways, Rabs. I understand what <laughs> I can't, what I really can't stand is when, Adrian Wojnarowski is announcing every pick before oh, the commissioner. Yeah, That's I, what I, I hate. If I Just want say, to yeah, know, yeah. I'll check your Twitter. The whole thing for me is watching the draft and the experience and hearing the commissioner call the name. I like the, I like the shred of suspense. Okay. Now I do like when Woj gets up there and announces the trades before the selection is made, because that makes more sense. That's when I knew that the Pistons were picking at 13 and that it was Jalen Duran and that he was going to be a Piston, even though, and I think this is what you're alluding to, he walks across the stage and puts on the Charlotte, you know, Hornets cap, and it confuses everybody. It's it, so ridiculous. It's a mess. It's a mess. So I, I, but, I feel like the NFL, the like when the NFL does it, if the trade is made, like that team is now on the clock. 
and they get to put that like so what like Jalen Duran puts the Charlotte hat on and he walks off stage and throws it in the in the trash can and, and, and puts on the Pistons hat. And I think with if I'm not mistaken, not, yes. if I'm not mistaken, Trent, I was I was noticed someone else had had brought to my attention that when the Pistons summer league roster was announced, Jalen Duran was not on it, and I was Correct. thinking like, is he hurt? But it's, I no, think so, the trade is not official. Well, no, let me clarify this because this just happened. Keith Langlois, writer for the Pistons, an hour ago tweeted, the trade that gave the Pistons draft rights to Jalen Dern is now official. That clears the way for Dern to be able to play in summer league. Okay, Great. so it's, it's, it's a thing. It's all good. Everyone can settle down. I was never worried about it yeah. uh, personally, well, okay. but yes. Also well, news, and not, not yes, that we news. have to get into all this stuff, but Cade Cunningham will not be playing in the summer league per his personal trainer. There is no injury involved. He's just not playing. They don't want to yep. risk injury. He really doesn't need it, quite frankly. I understand right. people want to watch him play, myself included, but he does not need summer league reps. Anyways, let's go back to the draft. So the Pistons pick up Jaden Ivey at number five. They pick up Jalen Duran at number 13. And they pick up a European player who I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name so as to not disrespect him, as if not even trying to pronounce his name is uh, more respectful than, than pronouncing right. it correctly. But whatever. Uh, apparently, people are calling this guy the, the – what I don't even know what country he's from. I feel terrible. I think people he's are, Italian. People are calling him the Italian Zach Levine. I'm like, okay, man, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. It's like, I like that. It's like how Chet is the next Dirk and every skinny big man's always the next Dirk and whatever. But – should we get into the, the Jaden Ivey thing? Should we do it? Yeah. So let's, you know, I, I it was something that we had talked about previously on the podcast. And um, I think the consensus for us was we were looking at Benedict Matherin who ended up going six to the, to the Pacers right after. Um, but I think a lot of that was predicated on the assumption that the Kings were going to do as the Kings do right. and take a guard they didn't need in Jaden Ivey at four. So um, I had a couple friends that went to the Pistons draft party and similar to how you and I were at the Lions draft party. And when Aiden Hutchinson did not go one, similar to how Keegan Murray was taken at four, apparently it was electric and people were pumped up because essentially the writing was on the wall that Ivy was going to be the pick similar to how Hutch was going to be the pick at number two for the Lions. So people were fired up. Um, I know you weren't as high on Jaden Ivey uh, as, as a lot of other people. I myself had kind of talked myself into Benedict Matherin so much to where I wanted that to be the pick and just be right about it. So I don't know. I would say let's, you know, we just go over like what, what your thoughts were when you see the pick came across and, and how you think he fits. I mean, for me, I really don't have a whole lot for you, Trent, to be honest with you. I just you don't think have that to. I, as I said, that was what, as I said last week, um, I think it was important in this draft to where you could get someone like a Matherin or a Ivy or a Sharp. You need, you need to put someone next to Cade Cunningham sooner rather than later. And I think they did that. And I think that Jaden Ivey is definitely someone who is more successful with the ball in his hands, which obviously you want the ball in Cade Cunningham, Cunningham's hands. That was, wow. That could be like a, a shirt, Cunningham's hands. I don't know. <laughs> tough to say. But I think you want the ball in Cade's hands more so than Jaden Ivey. But I do think that you now have a backcourt that is, I mean, you have two ballers in the backcourt, which I think is what's, exciting like I think that Jaden Ivey is explosive to the rim and can play above the rim a little bit I know his shooting's a little bit of a, a maybe a red flag that you would like to see him with a bit better numbers in his college career but nonetheless I think he's a he's a pretty raw athlete that has a has a very high ceiling so I I am excited to watch him play in a Pistons uniform and 
that's about all I have for, for him. Yeah. I mean, okay. So you nailed something that I kind of forgot. I, I forgot to mention in my notes here was that when Keegan Murray went at four, that's kind of when you knew what was going to happen. And by the way, full disclosure, I did not in a million years see Keegan Murray going at four up until draft, like up until the uh, Kings were on the clock. I thought Jaden Ivey was their pick. And that's why I go back to this bullshit of, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski kind of spoiling it for me and right. starting this whole snowball of, you know, Rabs, as, as a sports fan, I would rather bury my face in my hands and like fall on my face when I hear the commissioner say who we're picking. You know what I mean? I don't need yeah. the whole, I don't, anyways, with that being said, if you listen to our podcast, which was about two weeks ago at this point, you know that the consensus, as Rabs mentioned, was that Ryan Collins, Ryan Rabinowitz, and myself, Trent Valley, all wanted Benedict Matherin or possibly even Keegan Murray over Jaden Ivey. And the reason being was we all three watched Cade Cunningham play more games than not this year. We all saw him average 17, five and a half, five and a half with the assist potential through the roof. I mean, he's playing with Frank Jackson and Carson Edwards. You don't think that guy can average at least nine assists per game with some good teammates. You're not watching basketball. So Cade Cunningham is a guy who we all three wanted to have the ball in his hands every minute of the, I mean, every, all the time that he gets on the floor, he should have the ball in his hands. And that's where Jaden Ivey scares me just a little bit, because while I understand that at heart, he's probably more of a two, you know, he's not much of a passer. I think he averaged like three and a half assists per game in 30 plus minutes at Purdue as a ball dominant guy, he, at the end of the day, I think can be a pretty effective off the ball player. And that's kind of where I talked myself into this. As long as Kate has the ball in his hands, I'm fine. And that's why, you know, you can go pull receipts on our old episode. I I don't love the Ivy pick. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and spin zone and act like, you know, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. But Rabs, what you said, I think bears mentioning again, the Pistons needed to get somebody next to Jaden or next to Cade Cunningham. And I think they took next a little too literally, and they got him a guy in the backcourt with them. And look, if you get Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Sadiq Bay, Marvin Bagley, who you re-signed, which I love, and Jalen Duran. If that's your starting five, I think this team's going to be much improved next year, which segues into Jalen Duran. Rabs, do you have any immediate thoughts on that pick? Well, I I kind of go back to that trade as we, we mentioned earlier of using that that draft pick you got from the Jeremy Grant trade to to essentially in a roundabout way and, and who knows who knows what kind of discussions uh Troy Weaver had with Charlotte prior to making the Jeremy Grant move you know if he had a feeling that okay if we acquire this first round pick uh, we'll be able to move back up into the first round so so in a way I think that at the end of the day, when we were having these discussions about what the Pistons, what we would like to see the Pistons do with this draft, I think we all were kind of at the consensus that if you can, if you can somehow get back into the first round within the lottery still somewhere. And that was in the purpose of us kind of say, saying that is thinking that, okay, if you can move Jeremy Grant for the Portland first round pick of this year, which I think was at seven, I think we had all said like, you got to look at a guy like Jalen Duran or the kid from Duke, whose name escapes me Williams or whatever yeah. um, that I think went a couple picks later, but um, so in a roundabout way, although you don't trade Jeremy Grant for that first round pick in this year's draft, 
you do trade him for an asset that ended up getting you back into a spot where you took the guy that we yeah, wanted and, nonetheless. And that's, that's where Plus some other assets. That's where Rabs look. I, I feel like we should let these people in on a little secret here. You and I called each other. Someone, one of us called the other when yes. the, when the trade for the grant pick initially happened and we were both pissed off. We thought it was a terrible deal. Mm-hmm. And this is where I have to remind myself and our listeners who are all diehard fans. We can't necessarily doubt Troy Weaver. He hasn't given us a reason not to trust him. And this is just the latest example of that to take Jeremy Grant flip him for the 25th pick and then package that to get to number 13, to pick a guy who was on your board at five, even though it just clearly was too high to pick and Jalen Duran, a guy who vocally expressed that he loved working out for the Pistons before the draft and all this, that I know all these guys say, you know, what right. they're supposed they love to say. Every team they work out for. Right. 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 And I understand that, but it's just, I, it feels a little different here because it definitely does feel like it was telegraphed to a certain extent. And that's where I feel like when Troy Weaver makes these moves a day or two before the draft, we all need to calm down going forward. Cause I think Troy Weaver is going to be around for a long time. And I think he's going to earn this. Eventually he's going to earn this, you know, mastermind Greg Popovich kind of reputation where it's like, let's all just calm down. Let's just let this play out. So that's all Jalen Duran. I mean, Rams, you can continue on this guy. I, I'm I'm very high on him. No, the only the only thing for me is is I yeah he's you know when you talk about the center position, a tremendous athlete, you know a, a nice a nice rim runner that I, I I just think in this for for him for you to have a guy that's that's a young center with the athletic ceiling that he has playing with Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. I just think you're going to watch some some really, really fun basketball when those three guys are together on the floor this year. And to be honest with you, the best thing about the Jalen Duran pick, in my opinion, is the fact that you now do not have to go give DeAndre Ayton a max deal, which, yes, I under and we talked about it, and I understand that DeAndre Ayton is a fine player and maybe didn't get to showcase his offensive upside as much in Phoenix because they didn't need him to be a first or second scoring option and maybe you bring him over to Detroit and open him open his game up a bit and and we're talking about something completely different here with DeAndre Ayton as a piston who knows what's still going on with the pistons like I don't think it's necessarily completely out of the realm of possibility but I'm just in today's NBA unless you're a Nikola Jokic or you're a Joel Embiid who I really don't care for as it is I just I don't think that there's any need for you to be tied up in 30 plus million dollars and a guy that plays the five. I really don't. So Jalen Duran kind of takes you out of the sweepstakes for that, which I'm totally fine with. And you get like a true center body that you can play at the five versus Isaiah Stewart. So I don't really have much on the tape for Jalen Duran. I think I watched five minutes of one Memphis basketball game this year, and that's about it. Well, here's, here's the thing. I mean, I didn't watch much Memphis basketball either, just kind of out of spite. I hate that program. I hate all the slimy operations <laughs> yep. going on there. Penny Hardaway freaking out at reporters because they're asking him why he's starting five freshmen and their record sucks. But anywho, uh, Jalen Duran is a fantastic rim-running center, as you mentioned, Rabs. And this is just an observation I made. This is the first, like, big athletic Pistons center that they've – had like ever you know what I mean like Andre Drummond was slow as shit Bill Ambeer couldn't jump Ben Wallace was athletic as hell but he was 6'9 like this is like Greg Monroe you can go down the list 
this is the first time that it really feels like the Pistons have a Jalen Dern, six foot 11. He can jump out of the gym. He's a great shot blocker, by the way. People, people sleep on his defense a little bit. Offensive game is a little rough, but it's all about his athleticism. And like you mentioned, Rabs, when you put him in a backcourt with Jaden Ivey and Cade, and I even think in the front court next to Marvin Bagley, that's just going to do you wonders. And it's going to do wonders for a guy like Sadiq Bey, who is now going to be your primary like perimeter guy. And the one biggest thing, you mentioned the Aiton thing, and I think, you know, this is where we kind of miss Ryan Collins because he was on the record with us at least saying how, you know, he didn't love the Duran pick if it means we're not going to go after Aiton, and that's kind of what it's looking like. But the biggest win, in my opinion, with the Duran pick is it allows Isaiah Stewart to go to the bench because for two years now we've talked about, you know, what does this Pistons team look like in five years? Is Isaiah Stewart in the starting lineup, this, that, and the other? You know what Dennis Rodman did in the 1989-90 season when the Pistons won the championship? He played 20 minutes a game. He averaged like nine points and nine rebounds. You think Stewart can do that off the bench for in, in 20 to 25 minutes a game sure. for the Pistons team? I think so. So do I think he's a starting caliber center in the league? No, because he can't do anything offensively. But off the bench as a spark plug guy, when you have Jalen Duran asserting his, you know, dominance down low, like I just see it working. For some reason, I see that working, and it's a weird thing. And I don't look. The Pistons have made moves for like Nerlens Noel. There's a bunch of weird shit going on. So maybe it is better that we kind of let the big picture sit for a little bit, and next week we can talk about summer league stuff. And maybe they'll have made a couple more moves by then, and free agency and what have you. But ultimately. The Pistons, I mean, for the national media to be talking about how the Pistons were one of, if not the biggest winner from the 2022 NBA draft, that's got to send you to bed happy. You got Jaden Ivey, regardless of how you feel about him like I did. I love the Jalen Duran pick, and the Pistons got better on draft night. That's just the bottom line. So I got to applaud Troy Weaver, and now I'm just excited to watch the chips fall. That's all. Yeah, I and the last thing I want to touch on before we move on to the Red Wings, um, with with these moves, you know, with you bring in the Nerlens Noel. I know uh, Kemba Walker was a part of that Charlotte trade, I believe. I don't know where we stand as far as like buyouts and whatnot, but I think there's been at least in listening to some of the local media as of late, there there is a, a small camp of people that seem to be somewhat frustrated with when you know you see Rudy Gobert get moved in a trade, and it, like people are kind of looking at the Pistons like, okay, well. You know why are you not like why are you not going out and spending money and 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 whatnot and in, in this free agent class and I know like the whole there was a group of people too that was all over Miles Bridges and of course an unfortunate situation there that has kind of taken him off the table but I don't know I mean I like to me I think when you when you're still a team that is essentially rebuilding and I actually think that now like I think that your core is like relatively set now that you have added two pieces in the top. 15 that that can be legitimate players that seem to have really high ceilings. I don't mind bringing on contracts that maybe don't look good to other teams for the sake of eating salaries. I believe if I'm not mistaken, I think next year's NBA free agency class is a lot better. So yeah, I mean, um, this, I year's, this year's class is objectively not good. And that's kind of why, like to your point, Ravs, it gets frustrating to hear all these talking heads and these people that think they know everything pissed off that the Pistons aren't making moves just because they have money. The Pistons do have money. I think they have like the second or third most cap in the league. Like, who do you want to spend that on? Like, I don't, we don't have to spend some time on this, but Rabs, to your point, it's like, what, you want to just throw a bunch of money at DeAndre Ayton when you just picked Jalen Duran and then you trade for Nerlens Noel and you still have Isaiah Stewart. Like it right. doesn't make any sense. Right. 
So I don't know, neither here nor there, I suppose, on that front. But um, as you said, summer league for the Pistons starts tomorrow. It's crazy how some teams have played like multiple games already, and the Pistons haven't. But well, it's because they're at, they're in different locations. Oh, they yes, do like I multiple don't. locations for the summer league. I don't follow the summer league very much at all. It looks I like just, Chet Holmgren's having a decent couple games so far, or, or game. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, whatever. Yeah. Um, summer league starts tomorrow. I'm sure the Pistons will be a bit more active as far as shaping up their roster leading into the uh, the season coming up here in the fall. So um, good stuff. I think people are excited about the Pistons and I, you know, whether you like the pick or not with Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran, I think that you can at least appreciate the fact that you have two guys with high ceilings um, and that are going to be guys that are probably going to be fun to watch is, is young talent and in Detroit. Um, so with that being said, let's stay in the building and talk about some Red Wings here. Um, two big things to cover today. Uh, obviously, the uh, the NHL uh, Stanley Cup playoffs are over. The Colorado Avalanche are your Stanley Cup champions. And with that being said, uh, we now talk about um, Derek Lalonde from the Tampa Bay Lightning is now your new head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. Um, that is something that we obviously have to cover before we talk about the draft, but we will, we will preview the draft here in a second as well. Um, so going back to our last episode, there were several names that I kind of threw out and that we kicked around about who the Red Wings could be looking at. I think the biggest thing that I don't, I don't know if I would call it a surprise for, um, hockey fans, but Barry Trotz is, it sounds like taking the year off as, as other coaching vacancies have filled. Um, and that was, you know, to me, and I think a lot of other people, probably the number one guy that you have circled as a guy that you would love to steer your ship if you're a Red Wings fan. Um, but as time went on and you really didn't hear a lot of who the wings were interviewing, who the wings were tied to, there was like a hot second where the wings were tied to Tortorella. Uh, of course he goes to Philly. Um, but nonetheless, it, it, it just kind of seemed like the writing was on the wall that, okay, well, time is ticking here and we're getting close to the draft and the wings aren't really tied to anyone. So let's go right back to the well, as we love to do when we talk about Steve Eiserman and, oh, well, he came from, you know, the lightning and he hired Lalone to coach under John Cooper. And so that's probably where we're looking. So um, at this point, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense looking back. Um, and I, I really do like the hire. And as, as I said, you know, when, when it comes down to it and you're, you're trying to put the pieces together, it seemed like the writing was on the wall. Um, I, I might've mentioned Jeff Halpern's name last week as well, or two weeks ago when we recorded as a potential name too, as another assistant on that staff. But, um, with, with Derek Lalone being a Steve Eiserman hire in Tampa Bay, it really seemed like it just made a lot of sense for Steve Eiserman for, for, like for that to be a fit, I guess. And in, in the press conference where they introduced Derek Lalone, whose name I'm going to get really sick of saying somewhat soon, because I'm going to say it a lot today. Um, you know, Steve Eiserman made comments about the interview process with him and trying to be respectful to me. I feel like in the back of his mind all along, he knew this was going to be the guy. Like I, I'm not really sold. And, I, and of course, Steve Eiserman does his due diligence because he's a professional. I'm just not sold that all these other guys that were interviewed for the job, he was all that high on because he just knew if, if Lalone wanted this position, it was going to be his. And that just for me, just speculating based on the fact that Eiserman hired this guy in 2018, you, you just watched him make four straight uh, playoffs with the lightning three straight Stanley cup runs with two Stanley cups. Like, 
clearly something worked. So um, if you look at Lalone's experience, I mean, he, he's really been all over the map at, at every different level. Um, I want to say without really having it pulled up here, um, I believe he got his start at Ferris State University as an assistant coach. Um, I believe he spent some time with the Green Bay Gamblers of the USHL. I think he was at the University of Denver for a little bit, too, as an assistant coach. Um, over to the Iowa Wild of the AHL, where he turned a team that I don't think had seen a winning season. And I believe he was the head coach there for two or three years um, and had winning seasons in, 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 in all those years for the first time in franchise history. So to then be promoted and given the chance to coach the Tampa Bay Lightning and be a part of a world-class organization that they've turned into, large in part from Steve Eiserman having his hands in there, um, I, I just think it's a really good hire. And, and, and maybe part of that for me is this like brainwashing. And I say that in the most endearing way possible that I can of this whole Iser plan thing. And as I've said before, this man has not given you a reason to doubt him from his draft picks to his free agent acquisitions, to his, um, to the trades that he's made there, there is going to, there are going to be very few moves that Steve Eiserman makes in his tenure in Detroit, as long as that may be, that I will probably look at and think that I know more than Steve Eiserman, and I don't think it was a good move. I mean, I, I just the way it is, and I think that we're being disingenuous if we say anything otherwise at this point. Um, but the NHL, I wouldn't call it a problem, but it's a lot of just recycled coaches, and you see that with you know John Tortorella takes a year off of coaching to go be an analyst on TV. He comes right back to coaching in the NHL. Pete DeBoer um, kind of bounces around a couple different teams. He finds a spot. Uh, Paul Maurice, who was who resigned from the Winnipeg Jets this year, he finds a coaching home back in the NHL. Rick Bonus, who this Rick Bonus thing, not to go off on this like tangent, it doesn't matter. I do not understand what the infatuation with Rick Bonus is because other than like the kind of fluky Stanley Cup run with the Dallas Stars, and I say fluky because I don't think that team was very good. Rick Bonus has not been all that successful as a coach as far as like winning percentage is concerned. So why Winnipeg figured like this was the guy to steer the ship? And I would love to go on Winnipeg Jets Twitter and see what they had to say. I don't get it. So kind of back to my point of like, there's this almost old boys club feel of the NHL to where it's just this cycle of, of, of used and abused coaches. And, and granted, some of the names I mentioned have had success in the NHL, and I don't mean to diminish that, but it's just nice to have this fresh start that you're going to have eyes on from the rest of the league of, okay, this is a guy that truthfully has not had a ton of like head coaching experience. It's been a lot of assistant coaching roles but has had proven success all across the board. And now he'll get a chance to, to get his chance in the NHL as a head coach. And I think that just motivates Derek alone a little bit extra, knowing that this is his first opportunity. And he has the opportunity here with a young core that is being built, that is projecting out to be something special in the future. Um, so I think that that element of, of kind of having a guy that's trying to build his career on the back of a team that is trying to rebuild their identity um, is a huge opportunity for him. I would be curious to see who else gets brought over as an assistant coach with Derek Lalonde. I think that Jeff Halpern is a pretty easy name to throw out there as a guy that has worked with him in Tampa Bay and is, is a part of that same program and culture. 
Um, so you, you would, I guess, could be on the lookout for that. As far as other names, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if a guy like Todd Krieger, who is an assistant coach with the Grand Rapids Griffins, got to give him a shout out, former Novi Wildcat varsity hockey head coach, um, state champion too, I might add, 2011. Um, I don't know if he'll be given a shot to, to, to take that next step too, as someone that I think is, is quite deserving. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I, in, in listening to Steve Eiserman talk in his press conference, you know, this is, this is just about building a culture here of guys that want to win and that want to play hard. And you listen to Derek alone talk. And the biggest thing for him is just consistency. And, you know, he's, he mentioned seeing the Red Wings play the lightning a couple times and giving them good games. I know the lightning or the wings beat them at least once this season. Um, but it's about building consistency of being a hard team to play against every night. And that was one of the biggest things that the Red Wings didn't do this year and really haven't been able to do for the last couple of years is just being that team that on any given night are going to give you a game. And it's a, it's a hard thing to do. Consistency is the hardest thing to do in any sport of being consistently good and consistently great and consistently being hard to play against. But that's kind of the mindset for Derek Lalonde here. And, you know, he's ready to take that next step in his career. And this is a, a, a pivotal moment in the, the view of this Red Wings team in this era of what team are you going to put on the ice next year and what is your identity going to be? And you cannot go out there and post the same, if not worse, record than you did this year because you would be taking a monumental step back. And so it, at this point, you know, you're just looking to build the consistency in the culture. And, and I think that culture is everything in sports and it is a huge aspect in hockey, especially when you look at the locker room and, you know, Lalone talked a lot about the fact that the, the best thing that the lightning had going for them is that that room essentially coached themselves. Everyone was accountable. Everyone took responsibility for their play and the play of their teammates. And it was a group that you really didn't have to pick apart every day because the, the team and the leadership in the room was driving the ship for pretty much the last handful of years when this Tampa Bay lightning team has kind of formed this somewhat mini dynasty. And that's what alone wants to build here. So um, I don't think there's a whole lot to pick apart here any, any more for the sake of time. Um, but, but Steve Eiserman thinks that he's going to be a great fit. And, and if he thinks he's going to be a good fit, then, Hey man, like sounds good to me. And, and Eiserman had a lot of great things to say about Derek alone from the standpoint of just his character and how well he's liked by his his colleagues and the players and the respect that the players have for him. I do think that it's worth noting the fact that he has had experience at the college and junior levels when it comes to having a young team and just being able to relate to guys that are a bit younger and, and understanding what they're going through as young players. And so, you know, look, we can we can sit here and, and talk eyes or plan all day long. But I, I just it just seems like it was a good fit and it makes sense. And it's as simple as that. And there's really nothing else that I have to say about it. Um, I'm excited for this new era of Red Wings hockey under under Derek Lalone's tutelage. Um, I am obviously wishing that he does well. And I think that he he will add a, a little bit of juice to this team. And, and, and I think he'll command that respect coming into a room where you haven't had a lot of success in years past. And now you're going to listen to a guy that, Hey, been there, done that. I've won back-to-back -back Stanley cups. I was just on a Stanley cup run. I know 
what the room should look like, what the feel should be like, what the culture needs to be like to win something here. And that's what I'm going to instill here. And you either like it or you don't like it and you move on. And that's the bottom line there. So Trent, I don't know if you have anything to add as far as um, the coaching stuff before we go into the, the, the draft preview here. No, I don't. I just want to bring up the fact that as soon as the hire was made, I, as I always do when there's big Red Wings news, I text in our little group chat and I say, Rabs, what do you think? And Rab said, quote unquote, love it. So I have no reason not to trust it. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I do. I love I, it, man. In, in all seriousness, you know, with everything aside, for all the reasons you just laid out, Rabs, I do think it's a more well thought out hire than Blashill was. And not to compare everything to Blashill, but I just think that, like, for the first time since that hire was made, which was what, like 2015, Rabs? When was Blashill hired? I don't know. It's been like seven or eight years. Yeah, so I mean, you know, 15 or 16. I, I, don't, I don't think I could grow facial hair when they hired Jeff Blashill. So the thing is, is like, I, it definitely just seems like it, it was time for him to go, of course, but then you finally made the right choice in a, in a progressive guy, a younger guy, a guy where the you know, players seem to even coach themselves who's part of a winning culture. And that's what Stevie Y is all about. And that's what these young guys are about to be all about. And the wings are making huge progress. So you got to applaud them. Yep, absolutely. And it continues tomorrow night. <laughs> it continues tomorrow night. Um, I will be in the building for the draft party. The Detroit Red Wings are on the clock at number eight in the 2022 NHL draft. Um, just quickly before we get into it, um, looking at draft picks, they will have the eighth overall pick. They also have the 40th and 52nd pick of the second round. That 52nd overall pick from the Washington Capitals is part of that Anthony Mantha Jacob Rana trade. Um, they will also have the 73rd pick in the third round. There are three fourth round picks, 105, 113, 129. And then you will also be picking 137. That, hold on here. I got to look at this timeout. I think that's a fifth round pick, Trent, I, that I've just mentioned there. Um, nonetheless, three fourth round picks. They have a fifth round pick and two sevenths. The, se the second seventh round pick coming from that choice that trade uh, in part with the uh, Los Angeles Kings this year. So, um, the common trend here for the Red Wings, as it has been the last couple of years, is just draft stock, um, draft assets, amount of picks. And as we saw last year with the, I think it was last year, right? The Sebastian Cosa pick, where you package some of these picks and move back up into the first round. Um, the, the thing with the Red Wings and Steve Eiserman is no one knows what's going on ever. Like he does a tremendous job of keeping things close to the chest. So for me to have any type of speculation of, well, I think the Red Wings are going to target this guy and move back into the first round. I have no idea. They, they might want to use both of those second round picks just where they're at. Um, if they like guys that are, that kind of fall to them on the board, once those picks come around, I have no idea, but the bottom line is you have a lot of picks to work with yet again. I'm sure some things will be packaged and moved and they'll move around, but Again, we're talking Iser plans, so whatever they do, I'm fine with it. Um, with that being said, I think it's important before we talk about draft prospects and who I think the Red Wings should take, will take, all that nonsense, um, is to look at what they have prospect-wise. Um, I wouldn't lie to you guys. I think the Red Wings need a lot of help up front. If there's one position group that you're looking at that the Red Wings probably have, to say set would be the wrong word but they probably feel most comfortable with our left shot defensemen. And we're talking 
um, you know, more so down the line into the future. I mean, Simon Edmondson is the first one that comes to mind who will be playing for your Red Wings this season. I would bet a, if I was a betting man, which I am, I would bet a ton of money on it. I can't envision a world unless he has a terrible camp where he would not be on the Red Wings opening night roster. Um, that's a left shot defenseman for you that plays with Moritz Sider. Actually, I gotta look that up again too because I want to make sure he's a left. Trent, if can you look up if Simon Edmondson's a left shot, left-handed shot? I'm pretty I was, sure. He I was is. just gonna say this is the perfect job for me, and I might fuck it up, but I'm yes, I can do I'm, that. I'm pretty sure he is, but nonetheless, as as far as the rest of your your prospect, well, is concerned on the left-handed side for your defenseman, um, Shea Booyam, uh, William Olinder, Albert Johansson. Um, who else am I missing too? That the, the Red Wings with Donovan Sabrango, like I, I Jared McIsaac, even. I think on the left on the left side is he right? What do you got for me? He, sh- he shoots left. Simon Evanson shoots left. There you Great. Go. So okay. So back to my point. I think you're comfortable with your left-handed shot defenseman. Um, where they need to maybe work on things from the defensive side is your right-hand shot defenseman. But you have a guy by the name of Moritz Sider. Ever heard of him? So I think that the, the the tricky thing here now for the Wings is they they're trying to find someone to play with Mo Sider on the left side. Can it be Edmondson? Sure, it definitely can be. Um, that might be something the Wings might want to address in free agency um, as, as far as making a splash there. Um, I, I'll save the free agency talk for another time because we still have some time before that kind of comes up. Um, but goaltending-wise, I mean, with Sebastian Kosa, who had a really nice run with the Edmonton Oil Kings, they ended up winning the championship um, in the WHL, um, really flopped pretty pretty brutally in the Memorial cup. Um, but I, I do think that, that Sebastian Kosa, you're probably comfortable enough with him to say, okay, you know, if we're going to address goaltending, it's probably another move like you did with, you know, your, your Thomas Grice and your Jonathan Bernier and maybe looking at more of a veteran guy to share the net with Alex and for the time being, because I really do think that Sebastian Kosa is probably, two years away maybe you see him at the end of this year in like a couple games um i would say next year you probably see him in more of a true backup role maybe not splitting that close to 50 50 with nadelkovic like you might want to see but by that third year i would probably say the net is is his in three years from now so I don't know if goaltending is necessarily something that I care to discuss because it doesn't really need to be addressed in my opinion, from the standpoint of long-term. Um, but where you really have to put eyes on now is your forward group. And I say that because defensively you have spent your last couple first round draft picks in the last couple of years with Edmondson insider addressing defense. And you take William Wallinder. I think Wallinder was taken in God, was he taken in Raymond's draft in the second round? But either way, and like your Shea Booyams too. So you you've you've put a lot of stock in in your defensive prospects early on in the draft in the last couple of years. And now I think the glaring problem for all Wings fans is you're looking up front and you're kind of trying to figure out like, okay, well, who's who's gonna fit where? And in and, and the in the most pressing issue is it's center ice. And we talk about this all the time about can Dylan Larkin be your number one center is, do you need to have a better number one center and have Dylan Larkin center the second line for you to be a truly good competitive team? Again, I'm always in the camp of, I think he's a fine first line center. I would say he's a really good first line center, but that, that position needs to be addressed still. I don't think that Pew Suter cuts it, 
as a second line center. I really don't. He has one more year left on his deal. Um, unless I see something insurmountably better than this last year, I just don't necessarily think that that's a piece that needs to be around here in order to make this team some incredible contender. Um, and then we get into the things of like Joe Valeno, who Joe Valeno is a center by nature. And in a perfect world, in some pipe dream, Joe Valeno's playing in your top six on that second line. And he's just a, a two-way center who with, with playmaking ability and some nice size. Uh, and, and it's a really a, a high IQ guy that can contribute up there. I think realistically, we're probably looking at Joe Valeno is a third line center. And as you saw kind of at the end of this last year, Michael Rasmussen came into his own a bit. And if you can stick him on your fourth line and, and, and have him commit to playing in that fourth line center role with the size that he has, I'm 100% fine with that. But the, but the rest of the game that you have to play is, you know, fi finding those pieces in finding a true second line center, if not first line center, that is going to it, propel this team forward, given the fact that if you look at your forward group up front, as far as the wingers are concerned, I mean, there is that weird camp of people that wants Tyler, like not wants Tyler Bertuzzi to be traded, but is like kind of stirring up these rumblings of like, yeah, maybe they move him. Um, he has one year left on his deal. I would love to see Tyler Bertuzzi get an extension with this team. I think he's a great fit on that first line to play with, with Larkin and, and Lucas Raymond. I really do. Um, if not playing on that second line, but between Bertuzzi and Raymond and Verana, and obviously Robbie Fabry is, is going to be coming back from an ACL injury. So who knows the timeline on that? Like you, you have, you know, some, some decent looking wingers up, up top. And of course that group 100% needs to improve. Um, but more so the point being of like, okay, we, we need to really find some pieces here of guys that can contribute and, and put the puck in the net um, and, and, and be hard to play against. And you're, you're more than likely bringing Philip Zadina back. Who's up for uh, an, an extension on off of his rookie deal. Um, you're, you're hoping that maybe Derek Lalone can get through to him and have him take another step. Um, you know, Jonathan Bergeron's a guy that is, I, I think was kind of grown up as a, or brought up as a center who played a lot of wing for the Griffins this last year. Um, he should be able to make the jump this year. Um, Teddy Niederbach, who I think is also a center by trade, but is, is probably going to see more time on the wing for the Red Wings. Um, it sounds like he might be able to make the jump over to North America this year, but Again, you 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 really need to find someone that can make an impact in that forward group. And while I do think there are some names there that I mentioned that that will have an impact on this team, I don't necessarily know if if any of those guys that I mentioned, as far as your younger prospects, are guys that you're jumping out of your seat about. As far as like, okay, these are real impact players. I really do believe that when the time is right, maybe not maybe not so much this year. And there are some really nice centers that are available for the, for the wings to pick up in free agency this year, like your Vinny Trochecks, your Nazem Kadri's. Um, but for the sake of just talking about the draft now, we can roll into what I, what the wings can be looking at here. So again, at pick number eight and for the sake of keeping our viewers awake and, and not, not dragging this on too long. I just want to look at this pick at number eight here. Um, we can, you know, I, I don't think we really need to spend time on the later rounds. And because at a certain point, you know, all these names are just names that you're looking at on these lists. So the wings are at eight 
And I, I think the positive thing about this draft, when you look at the top of the draft, is pretty much, at least in my eyes, everything comes up forwards. Like I'm, I'm trying to like look through here of, of, of who potentially could be the first defenseman off the board here. I, I truly think that there's a real possibility that there is not a defenseman picked until after the wings pick. And, and I, I am probably going to be wrong on that, but I just think that the forward group at the top of the draft is so good that when teams are looking at best players available, it, it, you just really, it just feels like this is a year where you haven't heard a lot about these defensemen and, and, and it's fine. And for the wings who I really think should go with the forward here. And I think that the best player available at eight will probably still be a forward. It's the perfect storm for them to take a forward. Now the question becomes, do you press and take a center because you really feel that that is the most important need for your team that you get a true centerman that you believe will translate and be able to play center at the NHL level? Or do you just take someone that plays up front and you go, Hey, this is the best guy that's available. This is the guy we want. So kind of working down into eight um, Shane Wright has been the consensus number one for a while that kind of changed a little bit with the Slavkovsky kid um, that plays out of Finland um, who I, I think is, is one of the biggest forwards in the draft. It's 6'4", 229 on the left wing. So I'm curious to see what Montreal does at number one. As time has gone on, it seems like that discrepancy between, between Slavkovsky and Shane Wright has maybe gotten a little bit blurred. It's, and I would have to imagine that Shane Wright being a Canadian kid, Montreal is just going to take him and Slavkovsky's going to fly off the board at number two. Now with saying that too, I got to mention our, our guy from the U.S. here, Logan Cooley, who has turned a lot of heads and has been pretty consistent as that number two guy behind Shane Wright as far as North American skaters go. So I would say your top three is going to consist of, of those, those guys that I mentioned, those three guys in some order. And from that point is where things kind of fall off. And, and, and four through eight to me is going to be a complete crapshoot. And we, if we go back to Europe for a second, this Joachim Kamal was a right winger out of Finland as well, just like the Slavkovsky character. Um, 5'10", 185 pounds on the right wing. Um, he is the second-ranked skater out of Europe. There was a period of time where Kamal was kind of looked at, I, I think he's like that number one European skater, but for, you know, is, and I'm not going to tell you I'm all that in touch to the finish, to the top finish league, but um, that's probably the next name off the board from Europe, it seems like. So after that, I think it's kind of a crapshoot. And the good news for you as a Red Wings fan is I think that at eight, you're probably still going to be happy with what you have available. Um, I don't think that there are, there's anything that can happen to you between like six and seven to where you're like, damn, I can't believe that guy got taken. I would have liked to have seen him on the wings. Now I will say there are definitely some players on this, on this list here that I'll get into that I would like to have more so than others, but I'll give you a couple names here of, of guys that I that I really like. The, the number one guy that I'll just come out right now and say that I'd love to see the Wings take at eight, that you're going to have to cross your fingers that he's still there is Cutter Gauthier. Cutter Gauthier is the guy that I'm going to I'm going to hitch my wagon to. And if we we have to place bets or or we're going to talk about who I want, 
if he's there at eight, I think the wings take him. I really do. I would be shocked if Cutter Gauthier's name is on the board at eight and the Red Wings pass up on him. Out of the out of the U18 program with the national team development program, uh, the United States of America, obviously right down the road here in in, in Plymouth. Um, he, he's a left winger. I, I didn't admittedly do enough research to look into what his time was like spent at center. I, I feel like I remember reading that he does have some experience playing in the center ice position. I would have to imagine, though, that he's listed as a left winger. That is what he will translate over to in the NHL. Um, six foot two, 200 pounds. Just the guy that I think really has the complete toolbox. Um, he, he was he was ranked a little bit lower during the midterm rankings, but when it was all said and done, he is currently listed as your number third ranked North American skater. Um, I, I would be surprised if he's there at eight. I think there's a chance, but I I was just really impressed with watching this kid's tape and with having him right down the road and getting him to, see, to getting to see him play a little bit. Um, just the guy that kind of does it all. Um, really, really high motor guy. Um, really tough to play against. And, and I talk about that as being one of those things that I think Derek Lalone wants to see and what Steve Eisman wants to see too. But super high compete level. Really good skater too at, at, a, at a great frame of 6'2", 200 pounds. And if you look at the track record of what Steve Eisman likes to do in these drafts, I mean, it's, it's, it's high ceiling for skill. It's good skating ability, and Cutter Gauthier is a very, very good skater um, in, in being a guy that has a high motor, high compete, hard to play against type of guy. And that's what I see in Cutter Gauthier, and I, I, I think that his he has a really, really nice shot that, that is, is NHL ready. Um, he does possess that playmaking ability, but for me, it's more so of the fact that he is probably one of the most complete two-way players that you're going to see at the top of this draft and I again with his size and being a kid that that probably still has a little bit of room to grow I just think that he not only has that high ceiling of being a really really impactful top six NHL player um, but I do think that he kind of has a toolbox that would allow him to be successful in the NHL sooner rather than later and again I don't know if he'll be there at eight but I, I, when I just look at the way that, you know, like a, you look at a Lucas Raymond, for example, who's a bit smaller than Cutter, Cutter Goche is, um, you know, Lucas Raymond, tremendous shot, natural goal scorer. Um, I would say that Cutter Goche definitely has that ability to, to fill up the net and, and definitely one of his strong suits. But, you know, to, to me, like Lucas Raymond is a guy that can play the, the entire length of the ice on all three zones. And that's the same thing that Cutter Goche can do. And I think that that's really appealing to Steve Eiserman and, I can just see it. I can see him being a Red Wing. I think it would be a tremendous pick if he's available. His stock has done nothing but rise. So that's the guy I'm looking at for the Red Wings today. Other names that I want to mention here that are probably going to get brought up. Um, Matty Savoy, who's out of the WHL, is five foot nine, 170 pounds. I remember watching tape on this. I, I think it was it was either this whole Shane Wright versus Matty Savoy thing, or it was Matty Savoy and Connor Bedard who is still a year away from his draft eligible year, but one of the more highly touted guys throughout his minor hockey career and playing in the WHL, he definitely lost a little bit of the buzz. I think that he had coming into coming into his junior hockey career. Um, But nonetheless, just, just the guy that you want to talk about just creativity 
and the ability to make plays when you don't think anything's open and there's no passing lanes and there's, there's, there's no, no plays to be made and just finds a way to move the puck to his teammates. Um, really, really flashy centerman who is, is just a, a blast to watch on the highlight tape. I think Cole Caulfield, just based on recency bias of being another smaller body guy that is, is really, really good with his hands in tight. And, and if you want to look at someone that can set, set a guy up and, and, and can create for others as much as he can create for himself, that's what you're getting in Matthew Savoy. The only thing that's really against him, obviously, is his size at five foot nine, 170 pounds. I, I just don't, I don't see him as someone that Steve Eiserman is necessarily jumping out of his seat about to pick at eight, unless, you know, if your Gauthier is gone and some other guys that I'll mention, if they're gone and you're sitting there at eight, you know, maybe you're looking at him like, Hey, we're willing to take a chance on this guy because of how creative he can be. And, and the game is only getting faster and he possesses tremendous speed. He's a tremendously agile skater. I think his lateral skating, um, from the standpoint of make, being able to make guys miss throughout his crossovers and, and how he's able to handle the puck um, and, and it just be so poised and so in control of his body with his skating and still keep himself in position to shoot the puck and, and, and make plays and dish the puck. I, I think that the Wings could be really excited about him. Um, that's a guy that I'm excited to watch play in the NHL whenever his time comes. I think his trajectory, he's probably – going to take a bit longer than, than others, as far as getting him to the NHL level, just based on his size. Um, but really good skater. I think he dropped a little bit in the rankings, not too much, but again, another guy that was super highly touted coming out of his minor hockey. And that definitely kind of fizzled a bit, but um, you know, his junior career, I think speaks for itself when you, when you watch some of his highlights and a really fun guy to watch. Um, the next guy, if we talk about the center position as well, Connor geeky is, is the, uh, fifth ranked forward out of North America, another guy that possesses great size. And I think that's the biggest appeal to him at six foot four, 190 pounds. Um, also playing on Matthew Savoy's team out, out of Winnipeg, I believe in the WHL. Um, Connor geeky to me. I, I just, I'm just not impressed with his skating at all. And, and I, I think that he is, I'm not necessarily sold that his ceiling would allow him to be a top six center in this league. I think he is a middle six guy at best. I could see him being a, a very, very solid third line center as the guy that's not afraid to, to, to mix it up given his size really, really good around the net as far as being able to use his size and length um, to, to, to put the puck in the back of the net and keep defenders off of them. And it just gives him the ability to kind of use that long reach and, uh, and keep himself in, in, involved in the play defensively, but I think more importantly from the offensive end, um, just being able to give to, to to make space for himself to to make plays and, and to dish the puck. Um, and like you read some of the scouting reports too about he's just got this big sweeping shot that you know m might be a problem for him at the NHL level of not necessarily being the most time efficient way of getting the puck to the net. Um, yeah, not. I don't think I've. I really haven't watched a ton of tape on 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 Connor Geeky. Every now and then he'll show up and, you know, some highlight reels of of you know him making some really nice plays. But again, I, I think a very big component for Steve Eiserman is skating ability. It really hasn't been there for Connor Geeky, and I don't know how much better that's supposed to get for him. And you you saw that with Michael Rasmussen, right? Like you knew that going in, 
that Michael Rasmussen's downfall is he's not a great skater and you're hoping that he can kind of put it together and use his size and his strength to, to, to be a dominant power forward center in this league. He's kind of coming into his own now. So I think Connor geeky will also take some time for him to develop into that middle six center. I just, I, I just don't think that the work that is necessary to do on him is, is worth the investment at number eight. Again, you have to kind of see where things shape up because there's a very good chance that he might be your best option available. Um, but nonetheless, um, that's Connor geeky for me. Other guys that I'm looking at here, I have two more guys to, to give you. Um, this Jonathan Lekaramaki of from from Sweden just just seems like with with all the way that things have gone with the Red Wings as of late, and them kind of dipping back into that well of of you know of from from Sweden, uh, Lekaramaki to me is is just like the perfect icing on the cake of this Swedish movement that the Red Wings just, you know, like whatever, this is, this is what we're doing, right? Five foot 10, 171 pounds um, as a right winger. And again, it is the, is the more pressing need center probably. Um, but with that being said, um, I do think that there is a, there's a draw to the Karamak. He is you know, not, not the biggest guy in the world, um, but has a complete game similar to the way that Lucas Raymond does. And, you know, I think it just, that's a, that's a big time. Where are we at when, when this pick gets made as far as who's on the board and who's left available? Um, I don't think that the Red Wings would be disappointed at all. If he was there, a lot of the mock drafts that I've been looking at as of recent has LaCara Mackey going to the Red Wings at eight. And that's probably a much more realistic get at eight than maybe a guy like Cutter Gauthier, who I think will be off the board b- beforehand. And I'm again keeping my fingers crossed for that. Um, I, I would have to go back in and and and, and pick through his career, um, Lakaramaki, as far as his numbers are concerned and and, and what he did this season. Um, but I think that the Red Wings would would really like what he brings to the table as far as being that complete. Uh, complete right winger in, in in a position group that could probably use it um, up at the up at the top. I'm trying, I'm trying to plug my laptop in here too. By the way, as you can see that I'm moving around here, so unbelievable uh, on the move play by me as I'm just kind of rambling through Jonathan McCarramacki. The other guy that I wanted to talk about here um, is is Brad Lambert. And Brad Lambert, the only thing to me that has been a bit discouraging is the fact that he has his. Plummeted is not the right word, but he's he's fallen down draft boards a bit um, in 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 recent weeks. And I want to say, just looking at this at the Central Scouting Report, um, at the midterm rankings, he was ranked as the fifth European, the fifth ranked European skater. He has now dropped down to ten. Um, six foot, one hundred eighty three pounds, um, as listed as a center as his true position, um, coming out of Finland as well. I if there is going to be a pick that the Red Wings make that is one of those like head scratcher picks of did they reach? Was it necessary to take him at eight given where he's ranked as far as the rest of the skaters are concerned, Brad Lambert's going to be the guy. And I don't think that that's one of those things that you look at and are like, okay, like it was a reach. I'd look at that and go, okay, so Steve Eiserman clearly likes something here and knows something that we don't. 
And I would be 100% fine with, with, with taking him here at eight. I think he is an extremely high IQ player, really, really good skater as well. Um, and if you watch him in your little bit of time that you got to see him playing in like world juniors and those world championships and those type of things, he, he really is an impactful player when he's on the ice. Um, just a guy, another guy that has a really, really high motor. Um, I, I think that the best asset of his game is his playmaking ability. But, you know, as I said, when you, when you watch him play and you watch these highlights of these guys, like he'll, he'll light it up on the, on the highlight reel a, a bit with his ability to get to the net. And he's, he's creative, shifty. Um, he, he has some goal scoring ability. Um, another guy that I think is, is, is maybe a bit, maybe needs a bit of love as far as development is concerned and maybe not the most NHL ready guy, but I mean, he's, I, I just think he, he brings a, an NHL level mind to the, to the game. And I think he's, he's really, really good understanding like his, like the space that he has on the ice and the space that his teammates have, and just being able to open things up with, with his skating ability and if you're looking for a for a play that maybe is more so on that side of like, okay, maybe we're gonna take a guy that has a bit of bit of a, a bit more of a higher ceiling that isn't as proven. Like I would rather take Brad Lambert than than Matthew Savoy, to be honest. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's where things go for for the Red Wings at number eight. Um, and, and like I said, if there's going to be a a reach on a guy that maybe is is a little bit down down the sheet that you weren't expecting. I think Brad Lambert would be that guy. Um, and, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to trust Steve Eiserman. And, and I think that that would be a pick to me of like, Hey, you know, he's a, he's a centerman um, and, and we need to fill that position. But um, at the end of the day, again, for me, it's, it's, it's cutter Gauthier. I just like, that's, if he's there at eight, I think that's the easy pick. And that might be foolish for me to say, because there's a, probably a good chance that he's, not there at eight, um, but beside the point, I, I'm pulling up the numbers now for Jonathan McCarramacki. Um, Where did he play? Playing in the SHL in 2021-22 season, um, he had nine points in 26 games coming off of playing in that uh, that junior 20 league or whatever that's that's uh, that a lot of those kids playing over in Sweden. So 35 points in 26 games for him. Um, playing in that junior league and you know to me like the Red Wings is a team that that don't score a lot of the goals um, you you get a goal scorer in the Karamaki and there there have been comments out there in the scouting world of like this could be some type of generational goal scorer and I mean these guys get paid to do this and to scout these guys so if there are people out there talking about his goal scoring ability being that high with with just his shot and in, in his release, um, then, you know, great. I sounds good to me. And if obviously, you know, the wings do their due diligence in Sweden and they're as buttoned up in Sweden as they come. So um, if he's available at eight, which he should be, I would be surprised if the was not there on the board at eight, just like I would be surprised if Brad Lambert was not there at eight. I think there's a chance that Matthew Savoy like could get taken right before you at seven. Um, but I, I would say LaCaramacchi and, 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 and Lambert are the two guys that I'm looking at at eight in a realistic world. And if I had to pick one of them, I'm going to, I would probably say Brad Lambert, to be honest with you. I, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you like, you know what, at the center position, I think that that's a guy that's still pretty raw and, and possesses a lot of intangibles that, 
that again you, you can't teach intangibles which is the whole point of the word so um wouldn't hate it there but cutter go chase my guy trent and as i do with red wing stuff all the time it's just a lot of rambling and trying to filter through thoughts of 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 the highlight tapes that you watch and these little packages that you, that you get to see beforehand when the when the draft comes around and looking at rankings and where guys move and scouting reports and and you know what everyone did in their in their junior leagues this last year and whatnot so um you know that's that for the people that are still awake here through all this i appreciate it but um i'm excited for the draft tomorrow i am um just from the standpoint of like look eight is not a sexy pick and at eight it could go any which way of you know like i said if cutter goche's there at eight I'm jumping out of my pants at, in the Chevy Plaza tomorrow night because I think that that is an easy walk up to the podium and take him. Um, I don't think he'll be there, but if he is, that's the pick for me. Um, you know, but still, crazy things have happened, and certain guys get taken higher than other people have on their draft boards per usual in any draft. So I, it, it's not going to be one of those things where you're like, oh, the Wings have a chance to get like a Shane Wright or a Logan Cooley, obviously. Um, but there's still you know, some, some excitement to be had. So we'll see what they do. I just think it, it's got to be a forward nonetheless. So, you know, between LaCaramacki, Lambert, and, and Gauthier, um, I hope it's one of those three. And if they go somewhere else, then, you know, we can sit here and do the most cider and Lucas Raymond thing of like, hey, you know, we didn't really see it coming, but this is what Steve Eisenman wants to do. So that's great. So I will end my little rambling here and Trent, feel free to hop back in. No, that's fantastic. I mean, that's as in-depth as it gets with hockey, and our listeners know that. They knew that going in, and that's awesome. So, yeah, tune into the Wings draft tomorrow. Watch Stevie Y do his magic. Watch the Iser plan continue to barrel towards another Stanley Cup. Get on the bandwagon or don't get – or just get out of the way. Whatever. I just butchered that saying, but whatever it is. Rabs, you're going to talk to Tigers. We are well over an hour, but we would be remiss if we don't mention the fact that the Detroit Tigers swept the Cleveland – I words slash guardians for the first time since was it 2013? Is that what yeah, I, I, I it's the, the Cleveland I words slash guardians have been one of those teams that is just like the, the biggest Achilles heel for the tigers of all time. And I, and I really like, I, I really, I, I can't stand. I, I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to call them the Indians is cause I, it just in my brain, I'm sorry. But I, I really can't stand the Indians whatsoever. Cleveland Indians, that is, not just, you know, whatever. So I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm glad to see a sweep, man. I mean, it, it just even seems like in years past, too, like they can barely even win games against Cleveland for whatever reason. So, you know, whatever you said, first sweep since 2013, it's like, really? Like, that's – it's almost unbelievable. But Well, first four-game um, sweep. I think there's been a three-game sweep oh, okay, in there or something. Okay. But, so hey, four games. Then I, I will say that, that was a really nice touch on the 4th of July. I can't remember the last time the Tigers played a double header on the fourth. I don't know if it's ever happened or if it's ever been a thing, but it was awesome. And uh, look, I mean, just to add some quick anecdotes in there before we call it good and get Ryan Collins back in the mix here is the Tigers are kind of surging. Look, Miggy's back up to hitting 308. I love to see it. You love to see it. We all love to see it. It's awesome. While he's not hitting for power anymore, I think he's only got like three homers this year. Does that sound right, Rabs? Yeah, something like that. He's, he's just slap hitting the ball around. I, 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 I can't tell you how many opposite field singles or doubles he's got this year. It's awesome to watch. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, because, Rabs, I want to let you mention something about Riley Green before we go before we cut it loose. Uh, Javi Baez has kind of oh, come back alive, you know? I mean, you want to talk about who leads the team in RBIs. It's Miggy at 28. 
Right behind him is Javi at 27. And he's, he's back up to 209 batting average. I understand that is not great, but he's a timely hitter, and he's obviously always an A-plus defender in the field. So, you know, as the Tigers continue to surge and the vibes are up, you know, I, I, I am a big believer in when you're in a 162-game season or whatever this one is, it's, it's always – it's about momentum and it's about keeping the vibes up and everyone's got to have some good energy about them. And Javi just seems to really thrive on the energy, and he's looked a lot better the last two weeks. So I give him props. And I give Riley Green props because he's been the biggest uh, difference, at least on paper thus far in Rabs. I know you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's worth spending some time on because, you know, we were obviously all very excited for his debut. And, you know, we don't have to beat the dead horse of like, oh, I was more excited to see Riley Green than Spencer Torkelson. But, um, I mean, I was. I think we all were. I think that when Riley Green was drafted, you heard so many good things about his bat that you you kind of knew like okay this is a guy that's not going to come in here and bat 150 and that we're going to be sitting here like what are we doing like this is a guy that's going to come in here and have an impact bat right off the hop and um i think that as of like today or yesterday he is ranked as the as baseball's number one prospect which is which is awesome and a you know, like Al Avila is probably sitting back in his chair after sweating through three shirts, just knowing how how much this fan base can't stand him and how poor of a job he's done. He's probably sitting here like, all right, guys, well, I at least got that one right. Right. I, just, I so, can't believe well, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about this. But I, I my biggest fear is that the Tigers finish the season just strong enough to buy him one more year. I, I, I can't deal with that, but anyways, go ahead. Ryan. Yeah. But I mean, Hey, like Riley green's been awesome. I think the batting average is at two seventy three or something right around there. Maybe like 12 ribbies. I was trying to think of, I'm trying to think yeah, back I, to the graphic that I saw today. He's um, also reached like base that. in all but two games. I think that he's, or all, I think just one, he only, he's only failed to reach base in one of his 16 games as a tiger. Now. Which is, which is a fantastic thing that you, that you bring up too. And, you know, in a, in a world of baseball these days where it's all about just getting on base and moving around runners and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's just kind of the way that it, it seems like AJ Hinchball has, has become of just whatever lineup yeah. we can put out there. It's going to get guys on base. Rabs, so he's, he's been hitting, great. He's hitting 274 with eight ribbies. So, I mean, if you're, okay, if you're, so I was if you're talking about like full it. season, he's on pace. I mean, he would be leading the team in RBIs and he would probably also be towards the top in terms of batting average behind maybe none other than Miggy. But, yes, I I agree with you. It's been such a I mean, he's, fresh air. He's he's legitimately, and I and I know that Miggy's having a tremendous year at the plate based on just, like, Miggy's standards of him being old. He's legitimately, legitimately the best player on your team. Like, and as a rookie, he just he just is. So, yep. um, a, a tr- tremendous to see his success. But, um, again, like, and I don't really have like, yes, as you said, Trent, you already covered it. Hobby's kind of finding, you know, finding it a bit. And still, as I have to explain to uncle Steven every week, he he's, he is not going this striking out like flat, like waving at these sliders in the dirt. Like they're not going to go away. They're, it, yeah. It's always going to be there. You knew it's that when you signed them. Yes. Yeah. It just, it's just a matter of, can you find production on a consistent basis and i mean you know it, it's extra base hitting there's the homers and he's he's kind of finding a stroke here which is great he's also um, one of your he's one of your few timely hitters i mean I, I i don't mean to like beat the dead horse but for a guy who's hitting 209 to be second on your team in rbis like that's that's a that's a real stat you know yes i i 100 agree and, and so, i understand I mean, that been... the team does not hit the ball well and they're a historically bad offense but lately <laughs> they've been on a great tear so it's worth something yeah 
my 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 things really like to end it. I mean, there's a couple things to just to kind of run through. Like, you know, you heard today that kind of became somewhat news of you know the Tigers have reached out to to Erod. He hasn't responded, and it's just like what the fuck. Like at this point, you know. I would not be mad if the Red Wings released him or voided his contract, whatever. I don't, I would like to think that this is the Tigers. The draft is tomorrow. Did did I say that? What what team did I say? Said the Red Wings. (laughs) Did I really? I didn't even, as a Freudian Freudian slip from hell. Um, But I, if the Tigers, I don't know if this is one of those things where like, I, and I, I don't, I really don't know the magnitude of the situation with this guy, right. but it sounds like it was some type of domestic whatever going on. So if it's truly one of those things to where he's like, I like the last thing on my brain is baseball right now, then like totally fine. I get it. If it's one of those things like fuck the tigers, I, I want nothing to do with this team. Then we're, it's a different story. And I would. Like, right, 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 right. So, and, and we have no details. Here. So let's save our breath. Yeah, on that because, no because you're right. Rabs, there is potential for that to be a spitfire conversation down the line, but we will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no, so no idea. Um, as time marches on, I, I still with, with AJ Hinch, like there, there is just no, there, there's nothing that, that this man has done that has me like, I, I just can't, you know, it's like Eric Haas, for example, you bat the guy fourth, like for a guy batting under 200. And it's like, what are we doing, AJ? But then he actually strings together some nice performances at the plate, and you're like, okay. And then you look at the lineup card the next day, and Tucker Barnhart's right back in. And it's like, what? Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't know what AJ Hinch wants out of these lineups. Yeah, and I don't now know it's like this thing of. I don't know. And and I've and I've you know we've bitched and moaned about the Harold Castro and the Willie Castro. You got to get him at bats. And like now I'm at a point to where it's like they love Willie Castro so much in the outfield. Like they are doing everything they can to turn this guy into an everyday outfielder. Rabs, I thought of you today. If I can quick interject, I thought of you today because I remember you mentioning the fact that, you know, you get sick and tired of hearing Craig Monroe saying or, or John Keating or whoever it is, you know, in the booth. Oh well, yeah, he's a, he's an outfielder. Season. He's an outfielder by trade. You know, he's he's really more of an infielder. And today, today he had a really awkward looking. He he made the catch, but it was like not good. He took two steps in, and it ended up being you know one of these deals. And and immediately, Simo or it might have been Shep. I don't. Met, point is, they go. Oh, it's a tough sky for an outfielder today. You know, the the, the, the yeah. Like I'm I'm sure it is. I'm sure Mike <laughs> Trout would have it. But yeah, like yeah, I know. But it, there's always and, an excuse it, for the guy. That's all I'm saying. And the the frustrating the frustrating thing about that is we've now beat this dead horse to to complete death is Akil Badu's on fire right now at the plate in AAA, and it's only a matter up. of time before he comes back up. But then it's like, well, you have to play Riley Green every day. You do, or else you lose your job. And then when Austin Meadows or Parker Meadows or whichever the fuck is the one that we have both, whenever he's done with his vertigo slash COVID slash dementia, whatever he has, you have to play him every day in left field because you have to pay to play him every day in left field because you traded him, You traded for him for Isak Paredes. Who's the best hitter in baseball right now. <laughs> when I say very tongue in cheek. So then I'm looking at right field and 
who else but Bob Grossman's got to get his yeah. time out there. Listen, I, so, I just, again, the team is Reyes, Badu, yeah. and Cass. So I don't know, Trent. And and if 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 Robbie Grossman and Jonathan Scope are both on this roster after the trade deadline, I will not watch another inning of Tigers baseball this year. Well, I just that, won't. I, wanted I won't to, do it. I wanted to bring that up, and this is my last thought, because I've, I've got 100, but we've just, you know, we've mm-hmm. gone for a while. I don't want to prolong this. I also want to get Ryan Collins here for, mo- for the majority of this. But Jonathan Scope is now, <laughs> I mean, he's caught fire at the worst possible time for the Tigers, for the Tigers fans out there, such as you and myself, who want that guy moved. And it's not that I'm a big Cody Clemens guy or anything by any means. And by the way, Ravs, credit to you for being patient with him while Collins and I both declared that he wasn't good out of the gate. Yeah, thanks, guys. 13 at-bats, I want him gone. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> He's unbelievable as of late. I will, I will stick my foot in my mouth there. But all I'm saying is that's that's one position where it's very easy for me to be like, okay, you remove scope from here. Okay, great. I can immediately plug and play Willie Castro or Clemens. Or, you know, I, I don't have to, like, it doesn't have to be scope every day, which it is. That's all. That's all. That Those are my only thoughts. Look, the Tigers have been great lately. They've started to hit the ball. I think in the last 30 games, they're averaging five and a half runs a game. I'll take it, man. It's fun to yeah. watch the Tigers again. The first yeah, time in a I, very long time. They just, they're just, I, I have no faith in the front office to do. And, and of course, what I say is my opinion and I'm not some baseball genius. I just don't like nobody on the planet can talk. God himself could not talk me into the justification of having Robbie Grossman and Jonathan scope on this roster anymore. I agree. Cody Clemens, Cody Clemens can play every day at second base and do this. He's performing better than scope at the moment. And then you can spin the wheel in the outfield. But Trent, the thing is, is Cody Clemens plays pretty much everything but second base. It's first, it's third, it's left. He's terrible at third. Whatever. I'll tell you that right now. He's horrible. But he's at third. not a third baseman. And yeah. that's why I, I just, I, I just, I, Trent, I, I just can't. I just, it's so hard to watch this team because of the lineups, man. I don't know what they're doing. I okay, don't so get it. Your public enemy number one A behind your public enemy number one, which is Avila, is AJ Hinch. And, and, and we know win, that. Yeah, known if this. they win and if they're in the playoffs, and it's if I'm watching, if I'm watching the ALCS Trent against the Yankees, and one day you got Victor Reyes leading off playing first base. And the next day you have Eric Haas on the mound leading off. Like, I don't care if that's what's going to get this team to the World Series, then so be it. What do I know? But the bottom line is it hasn't worked because guys don't, some guys can't hit. Some guys are playing every day that shouldn't be playing every day. And despite the fact that you just swept Cleveland, your team still sucks ass. Hey, come and you on. Have no come on. They suck. I, they, they're not well, good. But, let me have but, a little life. Let me have a little but, life here. But, I mean, dude, it's like, again, I, what I, <laughs> I don't know what they're supposed to do in the outfield, dude. Okay. Daz Cameron, does he still have COVID? Did he retire? Where's Daz? Where's Derek Hill? <laughs> oh, yeah, Victor Reyes. We're, get, we're right back to Victor playing every third day because now Willie's got to play. Okay. I just don't know, I'm man. I don't know. I don't know. And, and the two guys I mentioned need to be traded. I think Harold and or Willie Castro 
should probably be moved if their value's high. And I hate to say that because I love them both, but you just have too many cooks in the kitchen. Yep. You do. Agree. You do. Agree. You do. And Elavila, Elavila only has himself to blame because you sold yourself on, well, that this is a team that can compete this year. And we're going to go out and get Austin Meadows because we're not going to have Riley Green. And if we have Austin Meadows as a guy that is further along than, than Isak Paredes, he can play in the outfield where Riley Green was supposed to play. He's going to allow us to win. And granted, Austin, I don't no one wishes upon Austin Meadows. El Avila didn't know that Austin Meadows was going to have the problems he's been having this year. Austin Meadows didn't know that. But you are where you are. And the more pressing thing is Isak Paredes has been unbelievable yeah, for Tampa we, Bay. We, we never saw that coming. I mean, we, we, he had no but, place but here. It wraps, wraps. If he was here, he'd be playing every other third day and it'd piss us off just as much as it does. Okay, with guys but, like but, but, but Trent, Trent that's, that's my question is, and now we're going to go down this rabbit hole. But shouldn't someone be to blame for that? Like, yes, we didn't, yes, okay, so, yes. I'm, so I'm not, can, I'm not, I am not, I understand what you're saying. I am not defending Alavila. All I'm saying is like, yes, like that move in particular is where like, I look at Austin Meadows. I think like that is like a guy who should play every day and left. So I can't necessarily call that trade a loss. The problem is, yes, you continue to evaluate the, 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 uh, what's it called? Talent evaluation here, which is half your fucking job as a general manager. You can't seem to get it right ever. So yes, Rabs, at some point in seven years, I would agree that somebody's fault and you got to point at the point, the finger at Alavila when he's been, yeah, and, it, and it, it's, four just coaches. Like you, it's just like you sell, you sell these guys and you bring in a guy like Isak Paredes, who's supposed to be like a prospect and you're supposed to be able to groom him to be an MLB player. And, you know, he had spotty appearances last year for the Tigers to where you're like, okay, like, are we going to let him play? Are we not? And like, he had some really, really nice at bats. It wasn't like he was bad at the plate, but yeah, you move him. And like, you know, there was a certain element of being excited of like, Oh wow. They like made a move and they got a guy who's been a good hitter for Tampa Bay. And like, you really haven't seen like the power at all this year, but it's more so the principle of like, and I think I was reading something from like AJ Hinch of like, you know, like we're scratching our heads of like, what did we miss on this guy? Yeah. What did you miss, AJ? It's your fucking job. Yeah. It's your okay. job. What did you <laughs> miss? So I don't know. Great. Good for Isak. I hope he makes the all-star team or something. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I just, I, I'm, and it just, it's so Tigers to, you trade for the guy, you get him as a prospect. All you have to do is let the guy fucking play every day yep. and hope he becomes good. And you didn't move them. Like, that's it. Like we're just spinning our tires here. So whatever. Well, Hey, I'm listen, the, 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 the bottom, about it. no, you're fine. Rabs. We, we, we love you. We all love you. Here's the thing. The trade deadline falls on August 2nd. That leaves us with about three and a half weeks. It is now a three and a half week tryout for everybody. Unless your name is Spencer Torkelson, Riley green, or Miguel Cabrera, Javi Baez. It is a tryout for everyone else. Cause as far as I'm concerned, no one else is untouchable. And I'm sure by the time we talk next week with our good friend, Ryan Collins, once again, we miss you Collins. There might be some more juice to talk about. I don't know. You know, at that point, maybe Grossman will be out of the rotation. If, if I can have a pipe dream scenario, start to unfold here and try to speak it into existence. That's all I got to say. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about this. Yeah. We still got three and a half weeks till the trade deadline, but Rabs, your point I agree with and that Grossman and scope got to be out of here. Thank you for understanding. I would just love, like if I had one opportunity to meet AJ Hinge, 
I would just love to ask him, like, dude, seriously, what what do what do you what does Robbie Grossman do that I don't see? Oh, I would ask what, him. What does, what does a and I and I get it, like, yeah, Robbie Grossman hasn't made an error since sliced bread was invented. Yeah, great, dude. He misses a lot of balls because he doesn't, he can't get Robbie Grossman is so good. He is the best in the major leagues of I am going to take my first step the perfect amount of time behind the time that I should so that I'm just behind this ball. So it's not an error, but it doesn't look like I'm trying, but it looks like, like, like he, and he's batting 200 with what two home runs and like eight, 18 RBIs. Like, what am I missing? Why? And he, and he leads off and he gets on base and he's whoa, slow noodle arm, but I digress. I'm done with the Robbie Grossman. I can't stand him. I, I might tweet that when we get off of here. I have just something about Robbie Grossman. I, I can't stand him. Something about him. Just want to ask AJ. What's the deal, AJ? Enlighten me, genius. Anyway, all right. I think that's it, right? I mean, it's now 1 o'clock in the morning, and I got to work it. in the morning. It's yep, we do have lives. We do have lives. All right. This well, doesn't exactly pay millions despite our thousands. Yes, thousands. at least not yet. At least not yet. <laughs> All right. Well, as I'm falling asleep on the microphone here, that's all for today's episode of the Motown Rundown. Um, for Trent Bailey, not Ryan Collins, and myself, Ryan Rabinowitz, um, thank you for listening. If you want to follow the show, we are on uh, Twitter at Motown underscore Rundown. We are also on Facebook at the Motown Rundown page. Um, feel free to like, comment, submit questions for the show, interact with us, whatever. Um, we are also on Spotify. That's how you can listen to our podcast. If you follow us, subscribe to us, whatever you do on Spotify. I don't know the terminology these days. I can't keep up. But every time we post an episode, which is usually every week, sometimes not, you'll be notified. So keep up with us. Thank you guys for listening. We love you very much. Um, big draft tomorrow night for the Red Wings. And we keep moving. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time.